I'm here with Kat Lavery, and she's going to tell me all about choosing a great business partner. She's had a lot of experience with what business partners are like and how to identify ones that will support you and avoid ones that won't. There are so many ways I could intro Kat here. She is a highly successful person with many accomplishments, and it would probably take me an hour to beat them all. So I'll just say... She is the most resilient person I have ever met in my life. Plus, she's a great mom. So, excited for you to be on my podcast, Kat. Great to be here. So I think the first thing I would recommend, a lot of my advice is going to be based on my experience of how to choose the wrong business partner, or at least not have enough information to decide on a business partner. The most important aspect of a business, if you're going to have a partner, is who you partner with. And oftentimes we don't have any experience in business and then we're making this huge decision right away. And that's ultimately why a lot of businesses fail. It's not because the business is bad, it's because the people that started it will essentially ruin it from the inside out. Like a termite? Exactly. So uh, we're not going to talk about your termite on this podcast, but just as a little bit of background... How long ago is your partnership with this person? What year did it end? And how many years have you had to reflect on it? So we got into business in 2015. And we exited that partnership in 2020. So that was five years. And now we're 2023. I'm three years on. So I've had a lot of time to reflect both on the partnership and then also where I was when I first got into the partnership, which is a whole other person than I am right now. Yeah, I think I met you right around the height of that. I met you in 2018, and you do seem like a whole other person, much more present and focused and strong in yourself. So starting a business can be a very emotional endeavor. How would you say someone could best set aside emotions when doing their due diligence? If you're going about it now, what would you check for? Would you check for financial history and background, credit card debt? What green, orange, or red flags would you pay attention to? So I think one of the first things I would recommend people do is to really consider if they need a business partner. For me, when I started, I partnered more out of insecurity than needing a partner. And at the time, I actually think it was, even though it didn't work out, you know, you do the best with what you have at the time. And I was not secure in my abilities. And despite looking back now and, and seeing like, oh, I really had everything I needed at the time. I do think having a partner was good because I'd had previous businesses that didn't have a partner and my ex-partner was really good at like talking the talk as far as like was pretty brash and like like to brag and talk about how great things were which I'm not very good at and my wife now is like actually that was a good thing that you had that at the beginning because that's not your skill set and I look back and I think oh actually that was good it just got to a point where you know you need someone to talk the talk and walk the walk at the same time so I felt like I was being burdened with trying to get everything done that my partner was saying that we were going to do. So if he's like, oh, we're going to hit this goal, I'm the one that's like, okay, how are we going to do that? Which worked out for them because they just had to say it and then I would have to figure out how to make a reality of it. So like a puppet master? Yeah, I don't know if I was the puppet or the master. So many people when they start businesses feel insecure, right? You could potentially ruin your whole life if you make the wrong investment, if you go into the wrong field. A lot of people will partner out of insecurity. For people who are in that position, for people who are insecure about what they are doing, what would you recommend they check for? Like, What are some strict things that you would say they should look for in their business partner? So I'll, in this conversation, I'll share with you, even if you happen to pick the wrong person, there's still things you can set up so that you are protected in case something happens. So, you know, God forbid you're already in business. If you have some, like an operating agreement with certain provisions set up, like it's not the end of the world. If you pick the wrong person, you will have some sort of get out clause, hopefully. But I think before you partner with someone, first is whatever the business is, make sure that you're on the same page with this person. Like if you are wanting to start a business that you want to be like a generational business you pass on to your kids and the other person wants to grow it and sell it to private equity in three years. Those are two very different futures that are going to clash at some point. And, you know, you hear this thing, picking a business partner is like picking a spouse. I mean, a, a marriage, you know, there's like statistics that 50% end in divorce. But if you think of a business, 
like 100% of business partners will get out of business with each other at some point. Whether they want to get out of business, one of them wants to sell, one of them dies, like there's all sorts of ways that you can get out. So it is really important that you figure out at the beginning that you've both chosen the right person and if you haven't, that there's some sort of agreement in place of what happens whenever you don't want to be in business together anymore. When you're choosing this partner, and it is, I feel like it is choosing a spouse. I mean, I'd love to know if you agree with that, what you think about that. When you're choosing someone to get married to, you check for a lot of things. At least you should. You should check and see if someone has major red flags, like credit card debt, poor money management, a history of poor employment or interpersonal relationships, infidelity, a pattern of attention-seeking, dismissive, avoidant, attachment, style, whatever. However, sometimes when you meet someone you truly love, you feel like maybe you can overlook those bright red, you should run away like an injured gazelle runs from a cheetah flags. Let's say you meet someone, you like them a lot, you think you could start something great together, but they are 200 grand in debt for college, or they have a history of starting things and not finishing them. Would you recommend someone get into business with someone like that? And would you personally get into business with someone like that? So those examples, like the starting and not finishing things, I wouldn't personally get into business with that because I'm good at that. And you need someone to finish the project. So if you're both starters and not finishers, it's not going to go very far. I think some things you should be looking for is integrity. So if I have heard that they've screwed someone over or like done something that I see as a, you know, a red flag. Now looking back, I did see that, but I, you know, it's one of those things where like, well, they didn't do it to me and eventually they'll do it to you because if they do things out of integrity, there will come to a point when they are either their backs against the wall and they feel like they have no choice or they just decide that this is the way that they have to go because some people are mission driven and some people are ethics driven so if someone's mission driven they will let's just say oh i have to feed my kids that's their mission well now it doesn't matter anyone or anything that gets in their way if it gets in the way of that then they'll do what they have to to get there where if someone is ethics driven like they have to feed their kids but they're not going to do this thing because it's against their personal value system so if you are seeing people who are doing things out of integrity for a mission, and even if you're on that mission with them right now, there may come a point where you are on different missions and then they will do whatever it takes to complete their mission, even if it's against you. So I think high integrity is really important. So really like talk to people that's worked with them before, you know, just figure it, like do some basic checking. I think another thing is empathetic and having some sort of emotional intelligence. I think emotional intelligence is actually much more important than IQ, especially in business, because you're going to be working with people, teammates, you know, co-founders, customers. And if someone is of low EQ, that's just going to get in the way. It's also going to get in the way of your partnership. And then financial red flags also. So for example, whenever I started a business with my ex-business partner, at the beginning of the business, he was like, oh, can you set up these credit cards for the business? Because he didn't have good credit history or whatever, which at the time I'm like, oh, that's fine. I also don't have good credit history, but not, but only because I was an immigrant and my credit was so young that it took me like two years of being here to be able to get a credit card. But at the time I just was like, oh, I also don't have good credit. But when I look back, I'm like, wait, that is actually a red flag because I didn't have good credit because my social security was like only a few years old. Why do you have bad credit? And so looking back, I'm like, that could have been a red flag. But at the time, I didn't think of it that way. So just things like that where listen to your gut. So when things come up, you don't just brush it aside. And I with him, I didn't have this terrible gut feeling. But with other people I have worked with, I had this weird feeling in my gut that I disregarded either because the business needed something or I just didn't trust my gut enough and I would definitely tell people to, if you get that gut feeling, it's usually like your subconscious taking in a bunch of things that your conscious mind does not know yet and I would not disregard it because anytime I have done that, I've always regretted it. Two questions. One, what is screwing someone over? You say that's a red flag to look for. What would screwing someone over in business look like? 
or are you also including relationships? Like if you knew someone had cheated on a partner or maybe had a history of bad relationships or dropped out of school and not necessarily for financial or business reasons, that's not really screwing someone else over, maybe your parents. So when I say screw over, I, I mean things like they just they might do something underhanded that I think like, oh, that doesn't seem right or lying about things that are small and don't matter. So it's like, why lie? Or yeah, cheating on a partner. Now I would see as like, oh, if you're going to cheat on the mother of your children, then how can I like trust you to not screw me over? Now, I'm not saying that about anyone's particular, but I am saying like looking at how they treat other people in their lives and getting some sort of idea from that. Like, do they have close friends? That's another thing I would look at as far as like if, if someone doesn't have close friends, like why is that? Now, again, that's not from personal experience with my partner, but those are just some things that now I learn more. I've had issues with vendors and, you know, when you're in business long enough, you end up seeing a lot of stuff. And now I have sort of red flags in my head of like, oh, if this person does not give me any personal information about them and is very like guarded. I wonder why that is. And it's not because they're shy. It's like, what are they hiding? And, and with that person was embezzling. So that's where I got that red flag from. They're hiding a lot of money. Exactly. They're hiding my money from me. I'm sorry. I know we're not going to talk about him or the bad experience, but I'm sorry to hear that happened to you. When you talk about this gut feeling, I hear people say trust your gut a lot. And I think that feeling is intuitive to all of us, right? For me, it's this sinking feeling at the bottom of my stomach. It's this realization that hits and I'm like, oh my God, I can't go forward with this. What does it feel like for you? I mean, that's pretty much what it feels like. It's like your mind might say one thing, but your gut's like, oh, I have no other way to explain it. If I had to put like a voice to it, it's like, oh, and I've made decisions where I'm like, oh, and then I do the thing anyway. And then I live to regret the thing that I did because in my gut, I knew it was a bad decision from the start. So you told me you used to partner with people out of insecurity, or that is why you partnered with this past person. Did becoming more secure in yourself help you trust your gut or was it the opposite way? Did trusting your gut help you become more secure in yourself? I think I became more secure as I had evidence to like skill sets. James Clear talks about this idea of voting towards the person you want to become and then eventually you have enough evidence of like past experiences that you're like, oh no, I know how to do that. And I think it took me years of like oh, I, I've seen myself do that, that I became more secure in my abilities. And then actually, I think me becoming more secure and confident in myself jeopardized the partnership because I think when I was insecure, I kind of just tolerated more than I did later on when things started to go badly between us. And it was because I was standing up for myself more and not just tolerating what I was given. For someone who is insecure and has trouble standing up for themselves... What would you recommend they do? How did you personally become more secure in yourself? I still don't like confrontation or conflict, and I tend to avoid it. I think that's probably like a childhood trauma. So I don't know that you can read a book and know how to confront something. I think I'm better at standing up for other people than I am myself. And with my last partner, despite being treated poorly for quite some time, it was only when I saw that the team was going to suffer from their actions that I was like, okay, this is enough. And then I got into action. So if there's something that you're not good at like standing up for yourself, how can you sort of create some sort of common teammate or see how someone else's actions are going to hurt other people if that's what it takes for you to stand up, which is what it took for me. So I'm not even the best person to come to to figure out how to always be the one like standing up for people or for myself. But for other people, I usually stand up for them before I stand up for myself. So it took him potentially hurting other people or actively hurting other people for you to put your foot down and start making moves to get him out of your company. Right. It took like, oh, I need the team to be okay and like keep the business going so that, you know, they have families and people rely on them. And if this thing fails, then those people are going to be out of a job and I don't know what they'll do then. So that's when I was like, okay, I have to figure this out like yesterday. How did you nail down your exit strategy as you were so entangled with him and had so much on the line with this person? 
I mean, it's kind of a long story. I think one of the things I would say to people when they get into a partnership, if you know this person, if you don't know this person very well, like a really strong operating agreement is going to save your when it comes time to figure this out. And the reason I know that is because we did not have a good one. In fact, it was slightly better than not having one at all, but almost not. It basically was like, oh, if you can't agree, like just dissolve the company is essentially what it was. And so I was hamstrung on a lot of things. I talked to a lot of lawyers, you know, 50-50 partnerships I would never do again because it's never 50-50. And again, that was a choice I made when I was insecure and first setting up the business. I'm like, oh yeah, I had this idea. I have this network. I have all these things, but let me just give away 50%. And so if I would suggest a couple things, one would be some sort of vesting strategy. Investing just means you get your equity over time instead of all at once. And this is really common in the startup world, but in the bootstrap business world, typically it's just like you get your equity at the beginning rather than earning it over time. And that means that, you know, he left, he pretty much checked out of the business as far as like doing any work two and a half years into it, if that, you know, not even two and a half years in. And I wasn't able to get him out for like five years. So you're essentially hamstrung on what you can do in the business if someone's 50-50. And also it got to a point when I'm not motivated to grow the business because I'm thinking, well, if I want to keep it on, at some point I might have to buy him out. And if I'm growing it, then I'm just going to have to pay him more. But I also want to maintain the team and not have them suffer. So I'm walking this tightrope of wanting to maintain, but also not very motivated to grow the business, which is never where you want to be as a business owner. And so the business suffered, I suffered, the team suffered when we're in this middle grind. So I would say if I could do one thing differently, vesting over time so that we both would get our equity over time. So if he left, you know, two and a half years in, he might only have 25%. And that would have been much easier for me to figure out instead of it being 50-50. And then another thing is having some sort of clause in your operating agreement for if one person wants to leave. So besides vesting, you also have to have some sort of exit strategy if one person wants to leave. Like, what does that look like? And if you decide on that at the beginning of your business, when you can both agree, it's kind of like a prenup. You're deciding how things would break up. And when you're on good terms, that's the easiest way to decide. That means, like, how are you valuing the company? Because, of course, when it comes to one person buying the other out, the person buying out is going to want a lower evaluation. And the person that's being bought out is like, oh, this is worth so much money. And so then it's really difficult to come to some sort of valuation. There's a good method I've seen, which would have been great. It's called the shotgun clause. And it essentially means one person shoots the other. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's not what it means. But it means you both decide how much you think the company is worth. It's basically like I cut you choose about your business where whoever values the company, if you're like way undervaluing it, that person has a choice to either buy or sell on that price. So it's like, you're going to be more likely to be fair. It's kind of like when you cut a piece of cake with your sibling. It's like, I cut, you choose. So you're trying to be really fair and even because the other person will choose the bigger piece. That's how it works with business. And so that's a concept I've seen other business partners use. But if you talk to an attorney, make sure you get your own attorney for the operating agreement. So you have a company attorney and then you have your own personal attorney because the company attorney is going to look out for the company and your personal is going to look out for what you need in this agreement for yourself. So you'd recommend someone get two attorneys, a business and a personal attorney. Should you have two business attorneys that are separate for each of you or one business attorney, one personal attorney for you, and then another personal attorney for your business partner? So yeah, I mean, they're, they could be a business attorney. They probably would be, but you would have the business attorney company and then you would each have your own attorney to review the documents because they're going to be looking out for you instead of the company and there's a couple of things like one really important clause is if a divorce happens that is going to be key in a operating agreement like what happens are you going to become business partners with the ex-wife of who you're working with because that can happen if you don't have it written in the operating agreement there would have to be some sort of buyout situation in a divorce so in some operating agreements, it's like if you were going through a divorce, I have to buy you out at this valuation before that happens because I'm not going to be partners with your wife. And they have to sign the operating agreement like when you make the business so that they're aware like they would be made whole outside of the business so that you're not messing up a personal business. Now, I didn't have that in my operating agreement because it sucked. And then 
as I was dealing with the buyout of my business partner and negotiating that, he was also going through a really, really, really contentious divorce. So he's getting divorced on two sides at the same time. And that made things really difficult because not only we have a business lawyer, like the company lawyer, I have my own lawyer. He is his business lawyer. He is a divorce lawyer. We have her divorce lawyers. It was insane. God damn, I normally don't swear on my podcast, but I was doing some mental math in my head and thinking of all these people, and that sounds like a lot of stress. Do you feel like that could have all been avoided by having a strong operating agreement? Is it a magic potion? Is it something that automatically protects you, or are there other steps you have to take when you're starting your business with someone? I mean, I think all the stuff we've talked about, like choosing the right partner, checking for red flags, choosing someone of high integrity that has emotional intelligence, choosing if you actually need a partner. So there's all these steps that you should go through. And to be honest, you have to have a strong operating agreement. Hopefully you put it in a drawer and you never have to look at it again until maybe you're selling your business or something like that. But a strong operating agreement essentially reads as a if this, then that sort of thing. I was like, if this happens and it's just a set of rules for your business. So yeah, do that at the start. And I see a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, including myself, they cheap out and they don't want to spend the money up front because you don't know if it's going to work out. So they don't spend the money t taking care of the operating agreement at the start or they just assume everything's going to work out, which is how I generally do. I'm like, oh, everyone's going to be reasonable and do what they say. You know, I had a history of not protecting myself in the past and I ended up spending a lot more money later trying to clean it up. And so I would advise if you're going to get into a partnership, don't cheap buy it and try to do it the cheapest, easiest way possible. Put in the time because you might end up spending a fortune later or just be stuck. There was a point where I'm like, I don't know what to do here because I feel like I'm stuck and I, I don't want to leave because then I'm letting the team down. But I feel like I can't do anything here because I'm totally hamstrung in this thing. And then I don't want to go into details because it's not really useful for the podcast, but it just took a lot of effort and some smart thinking to be able to figure out how to get out of it. Very interesting. So a few things I'm wondering. What if you have a business that's a nonprofit or something that is not going to make a lot of money and you know it's not going to make a lot of money? You know, it's a charity or it's I'm trying to think of things that don't make a lot of money that aren't charity. It's an NFT project something that doesn't have a lot of sellability, of marketability. Do you think someone should still invest that money and time in making sure they're set up right at the beginning? Or would you say this matters less? I mean, I would say still do it. I mean, you could get an agreement in place for $2,000, $3,000, something like that. One thing I would also suggest that you have is some sort of financial rules. It's pretty common that a lot of marriages end because there was some sort of, you know, whether it's debt or people overspending, like finances get in the way of a ton of relationships or marriages specifically. And it also happens in businesses where if you aren't aligned on spending, like that's also going to be a problem. And the thing about it is, is like you're probably dealing with a lot more money, hopefully, when you're dealing with a business. So if one person likes to spend a lot of money on flying first class or whatever that is, and you are a partner with them and it doesn't make sense to you, then that's going to be a problem. And so you need to have rules of like, here's what we do and here's what we don't do. Here is how we steward this money and make sure that you're on the same page. Because it got to a point, I remember being on a flight with my ex-partner. We were going to the same place, but he hadn't worked in the business for a while. And I remember getting on the flight and he's in business class and I'm in coach. And I think that was one of the things I'm like, what the hell am I doing? And, you know, he'd expensed it to the business that he wasn't working on. And I just felt like such an idiot. And that was probably one of the times I'm like, okay, this has to change. And it just pissed me off. It still annoys me even now. When you talk about financial alignment, I remember first class being something that you talked about in your blog a few times can see it in your eyes. That was something you were not at all happy with. What are some financial items someone should make sure they are in alignment with with someone? You know, not just how to travel, maybe in marketing, in product place. Those are the same freaking thing. What would you recommend people talk about and look for? So I think just having open discussions, like if you want to grow your business, you cannot be nickel and diming over tiny things, like tiny decisions. So you could start small, like when you don't have money, 
like at the beginning, we were like sharing a Gmail account because we didn't want to spend the extra $5 a month for two. And then I think as businesses do better, you can just add bloat of just you're paying for subscriptions, your stuff that you don't need. And, and I'm guilty of this also. And I think starting some sort of budget of like, okay, any decision over $1,000, we need to have a discussion with. And then, you know, travel rules of like, this is a flight over six hours or if you're flying to China to meet with our manufacturer. Yeah, that makes sense to have business class. Anything four hours or less, no, that's a waste of company money. And so I think that should be openly discussed and then as you grow like bigger budgets but i think general like rules like just starting a google doc and being like this we will spend money on this like we will spend money if it helps us retain customers or get new customers and if it doesn't do any of those two things or we're just starting out and we don't have much money then it's not a need to have it's just like something that we want would you recommend someone set these financial rules up in their initial operating agreement or are they okay to be vague and moving? I would definitely keep them vague and moving. Like you could just have an addendum and just update it and both sign it. But you don't want to get caught up in the stuff that doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter when it matters, but you have so many things and so many moving pieces whenever you're running a business that like hopefully you trust your partner, you've made a good choice and you're on the same page. So you don't want to get caught up with the minutia of things. But I think a lot of both business partners and life partners, they don't have these discussions early until it's a problem and then it's a big problem. So if you can start your partnership discussing these things, then you're going to have a much easier time with it. How do you know if you can trust someone? Would you recommend someone take a trial run? And by the way, for my listeners, can you explain what a trial run is? Before you partner with someone... You could do a trial like working together and see if you like work well together before you just start a business and figure out your roles and responsibilities. Because a lot of times we decide to partner with someone that's like us or it's also why we hire our friends. I know so many entrepreneurs are like, I need someone to do my operations. And so they hire a friend who's an entrepreneur and is not an operator. And then they wonder why it doesn't work out. It's because like, yeah, you try to hire yourself for a role that you can't even do. Well, cat coming in with the shade, hire yourself for a role that you can't even do. Are you thinking of people you've met in real life? I'm thinking about myself. Finding it like a really good operations person was so difficult for us for a few years because it just is going on a hiring search and finding someone outside of your circle, which we did. And then we ended up finding some good people. But at the beginning, you just like, I remember we had this guy who was supposed to be doing our operations and he was like a nomad and like all of the place, which should have been a red flag anyway. If you think of like, what's the personality type of an operations person is usually someone, I mean, I'm generalizing, but if you knew this guy, you would know what I'm talking about. He was just like the opposite of what an operations person personality would be like and was not very good. So I don't want to really jump into more detail there, but I think figuring out the roles and responsibilities of your partner before you start. So the good thing about my partner when we first started is like he was better at marketing than I was. I was good at product. He liked to talk a lot and be very promotional and I was not very good at that. And so we complemented each other pretty well at that point. And so that was actually really helpful at the beginning. But I would just sit down and like, okay, what's their roles and responsibilities now? And then if things go well, where do you see that going? So I would just get clear on roles and responsibilities and make sure that there's not too much overlap because if you both do the same thing, it's going to get to a point where you need other skill sets and you're both doing the exact same thing. So one of you is going to be redundant. And just being really honest and open about what it is that you're both open and want to do and what you're currently willing to do for this moment. Because if you're overlapping, you're like, oh, you know what? I can do this other thing. It's like, yeah, you can do it for the beginning, but you're not going to want to do that long term. And I think just having those conversations and being open to the possibility that this is not going to be a good partner. So don't try to find like, oh, how do I make this person a bad partner? Just assume that it's going to be a no. And then if it happens to be a yes, it's a good thing. So instead of going in with the thought of, oh, this is going to be my partner, try to find all the ways this person is not going to be a good partner as like the default. And then if it happens to be like, oh, actually, this works really well, that should be the exception and not like the rule of you going in and trying to find this person to be your partner because here's the thing if I told you to look around the room right now and I said find an orange color you'll look around the room and you'll see something that's like brown like that could be orange you know what? I do see it and you're going to find that in your partner because people like to confirm what they're thinking and so if you go in with the thought of like oh this person could be my partner you will ignore the red flags 
and you will make them who you need them to be because you need this partnership to work on. It hasn't even started yet. So you're saying the default when you talk to someone about a business should be this person and I are not going to work together. There's no way Snowball's chance in getting your Irish accent in this. You're, you should just look at someone and go, this is not going to work out. This person is not my business partner and be pleasantly surprised if they turn out to be someone who could be a business partner. Exactly. Very interesting. So what is a complementary skill set and how would you go about identifying it? Sometimes people can have a hard time with self-reflection and it is tempting to want to work with people who are like us. And sometimes it can be hard to work with people who are not like us. As you know, you are an independent driven person. How do you navigate that now? You know, knowing what you know about business and choosing the right person and avoiding bad people. I mean, I think if you've been in business long enough, you generally know what you like and what you're good at, hopefully. But if you don't, I would talk to people that you've worked with, like talk to old teammates, talk to people that have worked with you and be like, what are the three to five things that you think I'm really good at? And what are the three to five things I'm, I'm not good at? And then you're going to have a better right. And if someone's like, oh, you're not good at this thing, but you're talking to someone who's that's their core skill, like you're not good at sales because you're an, you're an introvert and you don't like talking to people, which is me. If the partnership relies on me getting on a phone call every single day, all day, it's not going to work out. So I think being aware of where you get your energy from and where a potential partner gets their energy from is going to be a much more useful endeavor than you liking someone's personality. Introverts and extroverts can be a natural pairing with business, right? It's, it's very natural for maybe a developer or a builder or a designer Designers are usually extroverted, but you know what I mean. Pair with someone who works in sales, who works in marketing, who's the life of the party, who's the big man on campus. How would you recommend someone who's more introverted and shy, maybe not so focused on getting credit, protect themselves and their assets and their name in a company? I have seen it in my own life and not with me personally, but with people around me where someone who is introverted does all of this work does everything and the extrovert kind of takes it and runs with it and gets all their credit, right? Money is not the only reason people go into business. Sometimes getting credit is nice. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a good answer for that one. I think in personal relationships and in business relationships, we generally partner with people that have something that we want to be more like or you feel is missing from you, from like the parts of you. So it's like, okay, this will be good for us as a partnership. And I mean, as far as the credit thing, I don't know really about that because I've dealt with that. I remember it was maybe a year or so after he wasn't working in the business anymore, but he's technically still a business partner and we still own 50% of it. And I'm like going on Instagram and he's doing one of these talking head style videos where he's in the suit. And he's like, this is how I run an eight figure business in two hours a week, talking about the business that I was running that he had nothing to do with. And I remember just being like so annoyed. I actually unfollowed him that day because I was just like, this is triggering to me and I don't want to feel like this. So I'm just going to like remove it from my feed. But it was one of those things where, you know, even for the team saying that, they're like, wait, who are you? Like, you're not working on anything and you're taking the credit for all the work that we're doing because you're trying to sell something, which is generally like. If people tell you running a business is easier, they're running this big business in two hours a week, it's usually because they're either lying or they're trying to sell you something, sometimes both. And so I don't have any answer on the credit thing. I think if you do the work up front, as far as choosing someone, hopefully you share the credit or you don't need the credit. Like, it's not like I needed the credit there, but it was more like you're taking the credit and you're not doing any work. And at the time, I wasn't even taking a salary from the business. So technically, we we're making the same amount of money. So it's just one of those things where I'm like, what are you talking about? And I think being devalued enough was what also was like, okay, I'm going to like, I think if he had have just given a little bit as far as being a little nicer and like giving a little more credit, he probably could have gotten a lot further than he did. But because he was taking all the credit, not thinking I deserved the salary, all this stuff. It was one of those eventually, I mean, the boiling water frogs where it's like, I'm slowly being boiled alive, but. Then I'm like, no, I'm jumping out now. And uh, if he had it just like toned it down a wee bit, he probably could have got further or I wouldn't have like stood up for myself like I did. 
So it was your pride being injured. That's the straw that broke the camel's back. Looking at Instagram, seeing his posts, that's what did it for you. The team being hurt was what made me stand up. But those little, it's like death by a thousand cuts. That's just like one of the cuts that I'm also seeing on a team front of, you know, I think it was one of them that shared it in, in the Slack and being like, what the f-? And between my own ego, if that's what you want to call it, and just like the balls, to be honest, I'm like, what are you t-? like? Also, I was just like, what are you selling? Because you, you don't know what you're talking about. And I feel bad for anyone that wants to buy it because you're lying through your teeth right now. And so it was like lack of integrity across so many fronts, plus the team issues that I finally was like, no. How many angry comments did you draft and not post? I definitely posted one and then I deleted it right after. What did it say? I think it was to that post. I think it was like, well, it's easy when you have your co-founder doing everything, something like that. And then I'm like, oh, this is petty. And that's when I deleted it and just unfollowed. So yeah, not my proudest moment. He told me he saw it later. But then I deleted it. I thought he hadn't seen it, but he had. Was that the first time you had actually confronted him using the English language? I mean, probably, but then I deleted it right away. Good question. And it's okay if you don't have an answer to this. Many of the entrepreneurs I see in the media, people who are as driven and independent and intelligent and ambitious as you, I feel like they tend to be confrontational. I feel like confrontation is something that usually goes alongside someone with the same drive and personality you have. How many people like you do you think have been pushed aside by their business partners? I think that's something common that happens in business. And for people who are like that or at risk of being in that position, what would you say they do? Confrontation is really hard. Yeah, confrontation is really hard and it's not like a natural, I don't, I mean, some people, I I was going to say it's not natural for anyone, but some people get confrontational on the smallest things. I think growing up, I was like the diplomat peacekeeper. So I would always make sure everything's fine. And it's taken me as an adult being like, no, everything's not fine. And, you know, you get what you tolerate. So if you keep tolerating these behaviors, you are going to keep getting it. It was my own fault because I'm just tolerating it. And so if you want things to change, you have to do something different. I think just kind of reflecting and understanding that if if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. And speaking of people, I, I believe the woman who started Bumble previously worked at Tinder, like started Tinder with a co-founder and was like pushed out by the other founders there and then started Bumble. So I think it is common, probably more common than we think. Like, to be honest, I've heard so many stories privately of stories similar to mine, but nobody talks about it openly. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, should I have openly discussed my story? Because I also don't want to get labeled as trouble, which I think women can be labeled because they speak out about something. It's like, no, why don't you stop doing shady and then you won't be called out. How did you change your thought pattern around being confrontational? I mean, I'm still not very confrontational. But I, it's more of a, I will stand up. I just, I want to teach people how I will be treated and how I won't be treated. And so in general, I try to set my standards earlier rather than trying to make up for it later. Because then you're really trying to reteach someone how to treat you after they've treated you one way for however many years. Is if you actually just have standards from the start of what you will and won't accept, that's a much easier way to You actually don't have to confront people very much anymore after that because if they don't treat you the right way, then they're not part of your life. And so there's no confrontation needed. So I try to do the work up front instead of four or five years into a relationship. For people who are in business relationships where it is unequal, where someone is taking a lot more than they are giving, how would you recommend they remedy that? Is that possible or should they get out of a relationship that's gone sour or is maybe not what they initially anticipated? I mean, if you're in a partnership that's not going well, you know, I can't tell anyone what to do, but it's essentially like one of you has to get out somehow. Like that's kind of where we ended is just the idea of like, I can no longer be partners with this person. So it's, are they going to go or am I going to go? And you have to is like figure out if your goal is I want to be with this company or this business, because if you want to stay, then it's really their decision. Are they going to stay? Or are they going to go? 
Whereas if you're open to either, and at, at some point I was open to either of like, I will leave or I will stay with the business, but I will not be partners with this person anymore. In fact, I think that was my 2020 resolution. Like my goal for the year was like, I will not be business partners with this person anymore by the end of this year, either because I'm going to leave or there's going to be some sort of exit situation that will remove him from my life. That's a really brave thing you did. It sounds like you gave up a lot to protect your business and to get rid of this person. Yeah, I mean, I took a lot of personal risk to get them out of the business. And I, I remember when I first made the first offer of what I would be willing to buy him out for. This was like February 2020, late February, you know, like right before shutdown. We were out of inventory of our top products. Our factory was shut down. I just found out that we'd had some sort of embezzlement situation I was dealing with. There was just like mayhem everywhere I looked. And my attorney and, you know, other people had seen the books were like, I don't know that you want to take this risk on. Like this offer is actually not a good deal for you. This is way too good of a deal for him. And I'm thinking it's like a poison in your life that I'm like, I can figure this out once this person is gone, but I cannot figure it out. Like I feel like I'm being poisoned every single day and I need just them to not be here anymore. And even if it's not a great deal for me, I'll figure it out. But the biggest problem is removing this person. And so he ended up not taking that deal. It wasn't a good deal for him, he thought. And we ended up, took like six months of negotiation to finally get to a deal, which was much lower than that initial deal that I offered him. But I took on a lot of like, you know, I took on personal debt of myself. I took on liabilities for the company. And I'm thinking... I can figure that out. Like, that's the problem I can deal with. What I can't deal with is just having a toxic relationship in my life because it's affecting, like, literally every part of it. I can't sleep well. You grow this business and you you have people that rely on you and you, you almost have no control because you don't know what this person's going to do. And so it, it took, like, okay, even though I don't know what's going to happen, we're in COVID, like, is the world ending? I'm like, I can deal with all that. But what I can't deal with is this thorn in my side that's affecting every part of my life so I think when you can bet on yourself it's like oh yeah then you're responsible for your own stuff and so sometimes it's just like even though we didn't end up doing that first deal I still would have done it to get that person out of my life six months earlier and being able to figure it out as I went so if you're in that situation like just bet on yourself even if you don't know what the end result's going to be having that energy suck on every part of your life which is what it was it's I lost like 200 pounds that day. It was great. People can be really insidious, right? And sometimes we don't know until they have infiltrated our lives. Do you, this is just a nosy question. You don't have to answer it. Do you think he was aware of how he was actively hurting you? Do you feel like he was consciously doing it? Or do you think he was so wrapped up in himself, he truly thought he was doing good things for your company, that he was being a fair business partner that you needed him I don't think he's even a bad person I think he was just on his own mission and by that point I was just someone that served part of his mission and whenever I spoke up and became more trouble then we were no longer aligned and so you know at the time he's going through a really contentious divorce for his own reasons which was his own fault essentially and so he's dealing with wars on two fronts It's probably how he saw it. So he probably felt like the victim in it because he's like, oh, you know, my wife's doing this to me and my business partner's doing this. And, you know, he was on his own journey and I hope he's figured himself out at this point. But at the time, I don't think he thought he was the enemy. I think he thought, you know, that I was being unfair to him by getting him out of the business and he deserved more. But we all have our own stories and you have to kind of be okay with you're probably the enemy in someone's story. And that's just life. So I don't think he's a bad person. I think he just showed up in his own way. And now, hopefully, he's happier in his own life. So when you talk about mission alignment and being aligned in missions, what are some potential missions someone could be on when they're starting a business? And do they always have to align perfectly? I mean, I think with the example I gave before of like, do you want to have a business the rest of your life that you pass on or are you trying to grow it as big as possible and sell it to whoever's going to give you the most money? Like they're different missions and you're going to grow and run a company differently depending on which one of those you're doing. 
So I think you have to have the same goal for your business because otherwise, you know, one person's going for the moon and one person's going, like one person's on a flight to Nebraska and the other one's on a flight to the moon. And you're going to do things very differently because one person's trying to grow this thing as much as possible, even if it's not profitable, in order to sell it for the highest amount of money. And the other person is trying to grow a business slowly, but is profitable and that they can run for years and years to come. And so those are two different missions that you're on. I think, you know, at the end, I'm trying to keep the company running. I want the company to grow, but I don't want to be partners anymore. And I'm not incentivized to grow the business because if I grow it, I want to pay him more. And he wants to get as much money out of the business as he can so he can go and start his own thing. So we're on very different tracks. So I don't know if that answered the question as far as what missions you're on. But if you're a teammate with someone, you usually are aware if you're on the same mission. That did answer my question. It's very interesting because I thought you would say something like, you don't have to be on the exact same mission to run a company together. It sounds like that's something you should really check for and interview on and make sure you're totally aligned with someone because you're right. You don't want to be driving a car to Nebraska when someone is trying to get to the moon, especially in your case, if they're using you as a launch pad. Right. I also don't want to go to Nebraska either. So we talk about disentanglement and exit strategies and mission alignment. How might a friend, relationship partner, or family member make a good business partner? What qualities would you look for when going into business with someone you love? I would look at the exact same qualities as I would anyone else. I don't know. I mean, I've not gotten into business with a family member. Obviously, there's a layer of trust there that you would have like I have a really good friend who who partnered with his sister and they've had some ups and downs like all partnerships do but their relationship is like oh we're brother and sister so we have to figure it out so it just depends like how strong the relationship is if you're getting into business with a second cousin that you don't know very well but his family like could that go sideways because the actual relationship is not strong enough to deal with all the business things that you're going to handle. And then friend, family members, like just put them through the exact same things that I've talked about, like go in with the default of not partnering with it and almost make it like, oh, it'd be stupid not to do this because everything is pointing to this making sense. But, you know, there's a lot of people that have said don't get into business with family or friends because oftentimes I know people that have gone into business with their brother and now they don't talk anymore. So just figure out what you're willing to risk. Potentially it works out, potentially it doesn't, and then what does it do to your relationship? Do you believe that a relationship, a personal relationship, a marriage, a familial relationship, friendship, can it recover from a failed business venture? I think it can. I think it is very dependent on the circumstances. Like, you know, is one person doing much better than the other? Are they both doing much better without the business that they started together? Because if one person is doing really well and one person's like in the gutter, that's probably not going to work out. I got into something with a couple of friends a couple of years ago, but we had so many things going on at the time that this new business was nobody's first focus. And so it ended up not going anywhere. But we all are doing much bigger things now. And so it didn't matter. And we're still friends. So it's just very dependent on how much of your energy and time went into it. Because if one person, again, is putting in a lot of time and effort and the other isn't, and it doesn't work out, the person that put all the time, energy, effort, potentially money into it might be a lot more hurt than the other person. So again, it's very dependent on the circumstance. As women, we tend to want to support our partners in their business. I... uh not going to put my personal life on the podcast. How do I put this? I have seen a lot of women, you know, give a lot of their time and talent and energy and supporting their partners on side hustles or projects. And they don't really get any equity from it, right? They're not being paid out on it. They're just doing a bunch of work for free for this person. How would you, if you were in a relationship with someone like that, how would you navigate that? I feel like this is especially common in the city we're in with so many people who are working on so many projects. How do you tell someone something like, no, I'm not going to check copy on your website. I'm not going to write something for you. I should get paid for this. Do you think they should? Or do you think that's something someone should do to support their partner? I guess my question is, where would you draw the line personally if your partner or your friend has something they're working on, has a side hustle, 
and they want your support on it, but they don't want to give you equity. What would be the percentage you would say you should support them on if you should support them at all? It depends how much help you're giving them. Are you doing like co-founder stuff or are you just helping, you know, like something small? So if you have a partner and it's, you know, say you're both launching something and that you help each other, I think that's fair. I'm bad at this as far as like I help friends a lot and I often don't ask for anything. Recently, actually, because I have a little more time now, I, I was helping a friend like they were trying to raise money and he sent me his deck. It was not good. And so I'm like, oh, I need to help you with this. And I'm just doing a ton of free work. And then I got to a point where I'm like, this is you guys need a lot of help and I can help you. But like I would need to have some sort of equity because I have so many opportunities that it's actually an opportunity cost for me to put more time into this. And I kind of just left it like, hey, you know, this is I can continue to help you, but this is what I would need. And you can kind of lay it out like that. So once it gets in the way of other opportunities, I'm like, no, I, I cannot continue to do this because now it's costing me money. So in like if you have a partner and you're constantly doing stuff and it's getting in the way of your life and your own career, then you need to say something like, look, this is what I expect and it's fine if you can't do that but I can no longer just do this free work. But if you're helping each other and you're both launching something, I think that's fair. So it just depends when it becomes a burden. And then also like, is this person like thankful or giving you credit or anything like that? That will also like, what's the goodwill between you? Because that, that matters a lot as well. Very interesting. So how do you separate money and business from your personal life? Because I know you are in so many projects. You have a whole roster of things you were doing. Whenever I see what you write online, you're just you're always in different projects. Business is a huge part of your life. How do you separate it from your personal life and how would you recommend other people do that? Other entrepreneurs do that. I mean, I try to keep it somewhat separate, but like with my wife, I'll tell her what's going on, but I'm much less chatty about things than you would expect. Like sometimes she would like walk in and see a product on the table. She's like, oh, what's this? I'm like, oh, it's the new product that we are launching whenever. I just forget stuff. There's just so much going on at one time. Like I'll often just forget. Usually when I want to turn my brain off, like I don't want to talk about business before I go to sleep because you're going to turn my mind back on. So like trying to have some sort of boundaries between work and personal. But I do know when I was going through my business partner stuff, like that was all consuming because it was just constant concern. And so it was really difficult for me to focus on anything else. And it was also hard for her as a partner because I'm stalling the rest of our life because I, I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm like, oh, I, I don't want to plan this trip because, you know, I want this thing to be figured out, you know, before I like work on that thing. And so you kind of just have to be open with your partner about what's going on and when you're going through like stressful times so they don't take it personally. But I definitely would set some boundaries so that you're not like boring your partner with your business stuff or also sometimes especially if you work like I, I used to work for a couple a married couple when I was an architect and they were just con like constantly working and I feel like it's nice to have someone that's not an entrepreneur and I didn't want to date an entrepreneur I mean she has her own side projects and things going on but being with an entrepreneur where you're just constantly like your brand's on and you're constantly talking about work is like it sounds like you don't necessarily think going into business with a partner is something that's healthy for people. Is that an accurate assessment? Do you think there's a case where someone could open up a business with someone they love and have it be healthy and normal? Yeah, I think that could be totally healthy. I think it's just dependent. It's like, it's almost like, oh, we have to start this thing because it came about organically. It's this thing we're really good at. A lot of relationships are complementary and like their skill sets. So Emily and I are great because I'll get like 90% done with a project and then I'll like check out and then she will come in and wrap it up. And so we work well together in that regard, but it would be difficult. Like, it's not like I'm like, oh, I have to start a business and I'll start it with Emily. It would, it would have to be like, we both have an idea that we cannot stop talking about and we're excited about and we want to work on together that then we would work together on a business. But I wouldn't start with my partner, no, because I, I like having some boundaries between work and the rest of my life. Always good to have boundaries between work and your life. Yeah, I would recommend a lot of people do that. So when building a product or when working on a business, there may be times where you don't see eye to eye with someone. 
when should you work to find a solution with someone versus when would you recommend that someone just cut their losses? I mean, I wouldn't cut my losses over. It's never just like one thing. Again, it's the direction of the business. Maybe one person wants to go more into one area. I think going into it, explaining your points of view is helpful. It's like, why do you want to do this? Because if, you know, most people agree on an end result of things, like even political people, for the most part, God forbid, some people like, oh, we all want to grow up, have our kids be happy, healthy, wealthy, whatever. We just have different opinions on how we should get there. And in business, it could be the same. So you might have the same, like, you might be on the same mission, but you both have different ideas of how you're going to hit that. And if you just are open and be like, this is why I want to do this and explaining your position and going into it with an open mind, like the other person might talk you into it. So I wouldn't cut my losses based on that. And I would also look at, again, skill sets. And I look at everyone, team members, co-founders, whatever, like they have a baseball card of what they're good at and what they're not good at. So like, are they good at product? You know, are they a 10 out of 10 product? Are they 10 out of 10 marketing design? And then I, I will base my decision or what I ask them based on what their skill sets are. So I'm not asking my old business partner a design question because that makes no sense. I wouldn't respect the answer anyway because they don't really know design. And I wouldn't ask a designer a business question because that's not their forte. And so I think when you go into a product, you know, depending what you're talking about, like who is the expert in that area and like really relying on their expertise so that you're not thinking like, oh, this is a bad decision for this reason, but that's their expertise and they're trying to tell you. So do you trust them or do you not trust them? And like going in with an open mind, I would say. And if you're ready to cut your losses over one thing, usually it's, there's actually been like way bigger problems that you're choosing this as an excuse. It's like the iceberg, like the little bit of the top, you're saying, oh, this is the reason I'm going to cut my losses. But oftentimes it's like this huge iceberg underneath of problems that was really the main driver of that decision. What's on your personal baseball card? That's a good question. Design, I say design branding like product line i'm definitely more of a product person than a salesperson so being creative in marketing and in sales but i don't want to be like talking to people all the time so like getting on sales calls i'd be like a one out of ten those are i guess those are the top ones so product design branding writing i was just curious i like that i think that's a good baseball card to have so how can you work to find a solution to one of those problems overall business goals direction overall brand personality conflict what steps do you take when you need to resolve a problem and how long should it take i know that's not a question that can have any specific answers but how much money or time should someone really invest on fixing a specific problem we had a coach, and I would recommend this to all co-founders because it's a it's like marriage count it's like therapy. So you have someone that can sort of translate what you're trying to say because you know a lot of these times it's like communication issues or things you're coming in with. You're talking different languages, and so you know in my personal relationship we have therapy, and in my professional relationship we had therapy. And to be honest, like the therapy I have with my ex business partner kept us in business probably like literally kept us in business because we would have crashed and burned years before had it not been for this person that kind of helped us through some of our issues so i would recommend getting a coach or a objective middle person to talk to harley the ceo of shopify when we won the shopify competition we were asking him like okay what should we be doing like to f get to the next level and he's like honestly your relationship like hire a coach because that's the biggest thing I see businesses fail is because the co-founders don't get on. Hiring a coach and therapy. Sounds like you think those are maybe the best options for resolving problems. Am I on the money? Is that right? Yeah. Probably you can order an, uh, you can get an AI coach soon, I'm sure. Chat GPT for therapy. I've seen people do that, Kat, and it kind of freaks me out. I don't know if I really trust it with my personal thoughts or anything really. What do you think about escape rooms and corporate retreats? Those can't be automated, and I see people use those. I see founders use those a lot with their businesses and their ventures. I mean, we used that. We did team retreats there, but usually you're there with a team, not just you and your 
co-founder so you can problem solve but if you have underlying issues going on like we did at the time like you're not solving that with an escape room we did team retreats also and again that's why it made this partnership sometimes difficult because we got on well at times but then there was just underlying issues that were issues and then if you're getting on at some points it's hard to bring things up at other points and so yeah team retreats are good because you want to build a relationship so with your team and with your co-founder i think doing things like escape rooms are also great but i do believe getting some sort of therapy and understanding the foundation of who someone is and like why they show up the way they show up because you know by understanding someone better you can show up in a different way that might like I still don't know the answer to this, but maybe I was like triggering to him in some way, which I could have worked on had I known more about that or vice versa, if he had have known. So we did therapy, but there was a lot of stuff that we didn't know about each other that we probably should have before we started working together. I feel like I'm just rambling here, but I, I think that if you want a long-term relationship and you want to be like, there's actually some business partners that like they just do business and that's it. And that can work for some people. And then depending on who you are, you need to have a deeper relationship with someone and that will include therapy. So again, it's very personality driven. Like if you have a, um, I don't even know, like a power washing business with a friend you grew up with, do you need to do therapy? I don't know. Oftentimes the growth of a company is going to be dependent on the founder's growth and how much they're growing. And you'll hit a you'll hit a ceiling of like, okay, the founder is not growing anymore, and therefore the business is not growing. And so we definitely would hit that point. And I think I I hit that point where it's like I don't have the bandwidth nor the skill set to take this to the next level. And whenever we were partners, I think we were both like it's almost like we're handicapping each other for so many reasons. And at that point, you just need to get out. Do you think that you can ever be truly friends with someone you do business with? Even if you start out as friends and you go into it together with a friendship, do you think you can stay friends? Yeah, I mean, I've been friends with people I've invested money with, and I'm friends with people that I invested money with, and then it ended up going under, and we're still great friends because there's open and honesty, and they did their best to turn something into a real thing, and it didn't end up working out, but I don't know the difference, but, you know... Sometimes I know friends that have worked together and now they're not working together and they're still friends. And I also know the opposite of like people that will never talk to each other again. And I don't even know where I lay on that. All I know is that I'm glad that I'm not in that partnership anymore, but I've kind of let go of animosity at the time because now I'm in a much better place. In my life, I've met a lot of people, you know, and I've asked them a lot of questions about themselves and their experiences. And everyone has a story where they've been screwed over by someone. Everyone has a story where something bad has happened to them and they've lost a lot of money. They've been cheated on. Something has happened to them and they've become a bit colder. They've become harder. They've become more guarded and closed off and shut down from the world. And they view that person who screwed them over pretty negatively. You did not do that at all. You are not like that at all. Actually, I had to change the interview questions because you didn't want it to be a character assassination. This person took so much from you, and you are sitting here across from me. You look calm. You look collected. There was no point in our interview where you seemed upset about what had happened. How did you get to that point? I mean, I think it's been a few years, so I'm less, it's less emotional. It was emotional for me at the time. I also have you know, growing up personally, and I see a lot of issues that, you know, a lot of mistakes I made at the time. And so I think going in trying to blame another person, oftentimes, you know, it's a two way street. And how I showed up in some ways, you know, was not good. And I look at things that are negative or seemingly negative at the time, not differently than I used to where it's like, oh, it's like this, oh, how did this happen? And do you know the story of the Chinese farmer? Have you heard that story where there's a story of a Chinese farmer? I'm going to butcher it, but I'll try to explain it. So he was on his farm. So this guy's on his farm and he has a horse and the horse runs away. And the townspeople are like, oh, that's terrible. And he's like, oh, maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. 
And then the next day, the horse comes back and brings with them like a ton of wild horses. And the times people are like, oh, this is amazing. You're so lucky. Uh, he's like, maybe so, maybe not. You know, who knows? And then the next day, his son, who's riding a horse, falls off and breaks his leg. And the times people are like, oh, how unfortunate that this happened to you. And he's like, maybe so, maybe not. Time will tell. And the next day, the soldiers come in from the army and they're drafting people. And because his son fell off the horse and broke his leg, he doesn't get drafted and doesn't go to war. The times people are like, oh, you're so lucky that, that your son didn't go to war. And so if you look at life, a lot of times things that are seemingly negative in the moment, is, it's because you're too zoomed in to understand the bigger picture. And so if you really believe, which I do, is like everything is happening for you. You just don't know what the, you don't know what the bigger picture is yet. And they, I mean, obviously this can't go for every single thing. Like I, I'm not going to, like if you lose a child, I don't know what that bigger picture is. But a lot of these things that in the moment are like, oh, this is terrible. Like it's actually leading us to something better. We just don't know what it is yet. And so I kind of look at life like that. And when I look back at things that in the moment, I'm like, oh, this is awful. Now I'm like, oh, that was great because it led to this thing. Even the embezzlement thing that I, you know, I learned a lot. I, I like ran my business better after. The business also lost money from that and it was valued less. So I paid out my business partner less than I would have. So I think everything that happens to you, try to like zoom out on your past, be like, oh, this led to this. This led to this. And I think you'll start looking at things not as a negative, bad thing of your past, but just like part of your journey and be like, oh, I, this is the lesson I learned. You know, I think of life as like a game in that as you level up, like when does a video game ever get easier the more you level up? Never. So like if you expect life to somehow just, you know, you're getting better constantly, but life's getting easier. No, you just deal with bigger problems, but you have more skills at your fingertips to be able to solve them. Well, I think you're playing a beautiful game, Kat. Thank you. All right. That was my actual final question. Kat has several jobs and a child, so. We're going to log off now. <laughs>